Jim Schroeder. That's the first time I looked at your feed, and we are in sync. We are in sync in a lot of areas, including at the very top of the feed, because we all found out today Russell Wilson signed a new contract, guaranteeing him lots of money, $165 million. $165 million guaranteed. That falls behind Deshaun Watson, who's well over $200 million, behind Kyler Murray, just signed his deal with the Arizona Cardinals. And here you are. Russell Wilson, who's going to be with the Broncos, at least with the money-wise, not just the years, but the money. He's going to be with the Broncos for a long time. What are some takeaways or your major takeaway from this deal with Denver for Russell Wilson? Well, number one, it was inevitable. When you make that trade, you know Russell's going to get paid. But what surprised me a little bit is that Russell typically does these deals, these four-year deals with a year left on his contract, and he had a couple of years left. So... He did it early and knowing how the salary cap is going to keep jumping exponentially over the next few years with all this new revenue money coming in um, from a financial standpoint, it would have benefited him even more to wait another year to do this deal. But who am I to quibble with getting nearly $250 million and as you say, almost 200 million guaranteed. But you know, the larger point here to me, Michael is this when I think about Russell look he's always going to get paid we knew that and he has made money throughout his career at this point after being a third round pick but when we talk about Russell now are we talking about his financial legacy or are we going to talk about his football legacy and this move to Denver to me is as much about his football legacy than anything else because if you know Russell Wilson, and I have spent time with him going all the way back to his, his first year before he was even named the starter in Seattle, everything has been about wanting to prove that he is one of the best, if not the best in his mind, right? So hmm. your legacy now, you leave Seattle and you go to Denver, where basically you're getting everything you want. Now you get an offense that's going to be tailored to you. There's no more trying to say we need balance and this, that, and the other. It's they're going to let Russell cook. So if you talk to Russell, he wants his name mentioned in the same vein as the Brady's, the Manning's, the Favre's, and as we see Mahomes heading in that direction. When you do that Mount Rushmore quarterbacks, he wants his name on it. And I've never been around a quarterback who will tell you, who is a great quarterback, who has to say to you, I know I'm great, which is what Russell has done. And that tells you how much this matters to him in terms of legacy. So as I watch what's going to transpire in Denver, yeah, this contract, we knew it was coming at some point, but I still can't get past the point of what this move was all about for Russell. And that's about his legacy. Well, you you talk about his legacy and how he wants to be mentioned among the greats. Do you get the sense? Because I don't don't, want to be presumptuous and say, nobody calls Russell Wilson this. I just feel like from where I sit, from where I sit, he doesn't get the credit that he deserves. Like some of the some of his numbers, not just the winning number. Everybody talks about, oh, yeah, Russell just wins. Yeah, Russell just wins. But if you look at his numbers, the first, uh, he's going into his 11th year. Look at some of the numbers from his first 10 years, passing numbers. Those are all-time great. He's approaching all-time great passing numbers for his years in the league and he's got a lot of stats like that where you go, ooh, that's not just good. That's great. Do you think he gets the credit that he deserves for his greatness and do you think he notices 
if, if your answer is no, do you think he it, do you think he notices that he's not getting the props that he deserves? Oh, he absolutely notices. Again, when he has to say to the media, I know I'm great, that tells you he is saying to all of you people out there who think I'm not, I think differently. I, I not only think I am, I know I am. And here's the thing with Russell, and if I know him the way that I think I do, and from talking to people around him over the years, I, I think I have a little bit of a feel for him in this standpoint. I think it bothers him that when we talk about the yeah. two Super Bowls that he went to, the first one that they won is credited to the Legion of Boom, and the second yeah. one, the loss, is credited to him and Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll calling a pass down at the goal line and Russell being intercepted there. I think in his mind, and this is just me, he has never said this to me, I think he wants to get to a Super Bowl and have it be about Russell in terms of winning a championship. And again, that's part of what I believe this move is all about. Yeah, but see, and I think if he feels that way, okay, on one hand, I understand it. On the other hand, I feel like you really get into trouble as an athlete, as a journalist, as a lawyer, whatever, if you start chasing storylines, if you start, if you want it, if you want to script it so people will say fill in the blank. Look, Trotter, you know this as well as I do. People are going to say what they're going to say. Sometimes they'll get it right. Sometimes they'll actually get the storyline exactly right. And sometimes they're totally off. Don't worry about that. You can't chase that because I think that is the path to dissatisfaction. Uh, and the other thing that stands out to me, and this is this is pro Denver. You think about the compensation they gave up. So what? <laughs> you know what I mean? But you get a great quarterback. And now let's step back and look at it. Okay, they gave up two first round picks. They gave up two second round picks, another draft pick. They have some players. But you know what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter uh, for for a couple reasons. One. You got an all-time great quarterback who wants to play for another decade, and if he, and by all by all indications, I think he'll be able to do that. And the other and the other thing that stands out is, look at this is the extreme. I understand. Look at what the Raiders did when they traded Khalil Mack. Okay, they got a lot of draft picks. They look and like everybody was excited. Wow, look at the compensation the Raiders got, and they blew it. So you can get a, a haul of draft picks, but if you don't know what you're doing, you might as well give them to me. So, right? I mean, it, it almost doesn't, uh, no. it doesn't matter how much uh, they gave up. No, I'm with you on that. Look, we understand that it is a quarterback-driven league. As such, if you have a chance to get a truly franchise quarterback um, who's still in his prime, you do it if you're chasing that championship. And so I have no problem with the compensation that Denver gave up here, but I think that puts even more pressure on Russell to say, look, this is what you wanted. You left Seattle where over what your first eight years, I believe you went to the playoffs. We know about the winning percentage, a couple of Super Bowl appearances, one title, all of that. Um, and that wasn't good enough because they weren't building that offense to suit what you wanted to do. I'll never forget Pete Carroll telling me one time that when he was at SC, one of his early years, if not his first year, he had Carson Palmer as his quarterback. And Carson Palmer ends up winning the Heisman, but the Trojans end up going 500 or somewhere around there. And Pete Carroll said to me, I never want to be beholden to a quarterback again. And he always tried to build USC after that. 
to where they could win championships without being dependent on that one player. Well, now he gets to the NFL and they get Russell Wilson and everything is dependent on Russell Wilson. And we know about the friction that had gone on in recent years there among coordinators and Pete and how they wanted to play, yada, yada, yada. So now Russell has what he wants. And if he does not win a championship, a lot of people are going to point the finger at him. And that that's yeah. just the reality of, of the NFL and the way it goes. To whom much is given, right. much is required. Tell me about it. Preach it. Preach it. Now, if you look at that division that he's in right now, and you look at the quarterbacks in the division, forget about the teams. Just think about the quarterbacks in the AFC West. This is crazy. So the worst, in quotes, the worst quarterback in the division is Derek Carr. You got Patrick Mahomes. You got Russell Wilson. You got Justin Herbert. You got Derek Carr. And Derek Carr. Derek Carr could ultimately end up having one of the best seasons out of any of the four this year, I believe. Yeah. So when you look at when you look at this team, I, I want you to start answering your question or or you know what you propose if he doesn't win. I know, not that he has to win this year. But do you think the Denver Broncos will be a good team? Do you think they'll be a playoff team? Because most people have said, you know, Russell Wilson coming in there. Oh, they're a quarterback away from being in the playoffs. I'm not so sure. They were or are, but what do you think? Yeah, I think they are um, in terms of being a playoff team and being there. I do think that over the last couple of years, they have been a quarterback away. You got to remember who they've had, Michael, in recent years, man. Even going back to last year with Drew Locke, who now can't even beat out Geno Smith. And that's no shade at Geno. It's just. Well, it, 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 it might be. It should no, be. It, just, it should be. I think Gino to me is a very good backup. I do not think that Gino is a 17 right. game starter. That's that's just me. Me and you. And, yep. Yep. And Drew Locke can't beat out Gino Smith for that job. So think about the quarterbacks that you know, and he was the most recent quarterback the Broncos had. So from my standpoint, I do believe that Russell will get them to the playoffs. But then what happens after that? That that's where it gets interesting. And look, Michael. The fact that they added a playoff team again last year to push it up to seven now, I mean, it's almost harder not to make the playoffs than to make it, you know? That's how I feel about it now. Because I remember I was going through my preseason predictions and I'm looking at the NFC, for instance, and I'm like, man, okay, how far down the line do I have to go, you know, to fill out this bracket? Because all of these teams to me aren't deserving, but you got to pick seven. Yeah, okay, and that, that's why I think it's challenging. Okay, if you go division champs, you got you got your division champs. Right. Those are your playoff teams right there. And now you got to add, you know, three more. Uh, who, that, who, that, who are you going to add over, over the Broncos? If you got three spots after you pick your division winners, who are you going to pick in the AFC? Well, other than Broncos? this is what I'm Okay, this is what I'm saying. Who's going to drop out? And somebody always drops out. I, I understand. Somebody always drops out. But you, you've got to overcome the Broncos, for example. That, this stat just blows my mind. The Broncos, is it, I've lost track. It's high. I think it's 13 now. Is it 13 straight games they've lost to Kansas City? It's something ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, like, okay, you... <laughs> You've lost. You haven't beaten Kansas City of, in six years. A lot of teams years? have lost consecutive games to Kansas City, though. Let's be real. Not 13 straight. Not in the division. 
not in the division. You don't lose 13 straight in the division. That's a problem. Okay, that's a psychological. That's a physical problem. That's a psychological problem too. Bro, the Cardinals like, so, have lost eight in a row to the Rams going into last year's game when they met in LA. So it it does happen, right? But just in that division. So last year you had the Chiefs and the Raiders. Raiders barely had to win their last four, including. That epic game over the Chargers just to get in at ten and at ten and seven, right? So I don't I don't think they overcome I don't think they overcome Kansas City. I still got Kansas City over Denver, and then is does Denver leapfrog both just in the division? I'm not even talking about the playoff field at large. In the division, are they better than the Chargers? Are they better than the Raiders now that they have Russell Wilson? I've got three yeah. teams coming out of the AFC West. And who who do you have who do you have on the sideline? Who's who didn't get the dance? Who who didn't get a dance partner? The Raiders. Mm. Now you want to know so why? Fought- because they're yeah, offensive I do. Line. They just have too many issues up front for me to be comfortable with saying they're going. I think defensively they will be better. That's been their Achilles heel in recent years. Derek Carr has played well enough, but hell, defensively they couldn't stop anybody or make key stops. Well, now you look at their offensive line. They just cut a number one pick from a year ago, you know, in Leatherwood. You can't miss on picks like that (laughs) and hope to be successful. I mean, he's one year into the league and you're cutting them already. And I I get that it's a different coaching staff and personnel staff, but I'm just saying, typically that's a guy you're going to count on to be one of your foundational pieces up front. And so when I look at their offensive line and how Josh McDaniels wants to play, the ball's going to come out quickly. We know that. I mean, we saw that when Josh had Tom and there were protection issues, they would get it out quickly or they would go to the two tight end set and do it that way. But I just don't think that the Raiders have enough talent up front offensively. And then if they have an injury up front, that even exacerbates the situation. So you got to pick one that doesn't make it. And that's not to say that I think the Raiders are going to be off. I think they're going to be really good. But I think Denver is more solid across the board than the Raiders are at this point. Now, and we'll get into some other issues. Like, I want to ask you uh, about Lamar Jackson, what this means for Lamar. Yeah. The, Lamar, the agent, and Lamar, the quarterback. Uh, yeah. Some other issues going on in, in the league. You know, Burt Breer is going to join us in a couple of minutes. But before he does, I just want to say, you know, with that release of, of Leatherwood, that only happens with the first-year coach. Okay, okay, look. Charlie, oh, yeah. you mean to tell me. It, I don't know how many linemen they kept. They wound up keep keeping. They keep eight, nine. Most teams keep around eight or nine. You mean to tell me Alex Leatherwood is not one of your best nine? I, I, he doesn't have to be your starting tackle. <laughs> He's not one of your best nine offensive linemen. So you make that move because you didn't draft the guy and you're trying to send a message to the rest of the team, to the rest of the league, to ownership, whatever, even though ownership's not going to be happy. Wait a minute. Uh, we, we paid a guy. We drafted a guy at number 17 in the middle of the first round, and he only lasted a year? Yeah, but and, we're and cutting so him off it, just by getting rid of him financially. Yeah, so don't you think that's... Is that a message? Is that a, yeah, isn't that no. like sending a message? Absolutely. But once he... I mean, once he got released and he got waived, and someone picked him up. Obviously, the, the Raiders got some of that money back in terms of cap relief. 
But yes, you're sending a message. But the other thing is, Michael, have you watched him in the preseason? And you yeah, watched I saw, the last year? Yeah. I saw that third, <laughs> third preseason good. game. I saw him just get bull rushed by a guy from the Patriots who also was, I think he got cut. I think that guy got cut, <laughs> you know, or he's on a practice squad. And it was like, ooh, he got by, you know, first round pick Alex Leatherwood. I'm like, well, He's a first-round pick only because the Raiders, the Raiders are the only team that we're going to take them uh, in the first round as the Raiders tend to do. Look, we got lots, lots more to talk about. Draft picks, contracts, what to expect from the season. Later in the show, Trotter, I want to talk to you about the great article uh, you wrote on, on defending Tom Brady. Much more to get to on Brother from Another. Burt Breer coming up next on the show. All right, it's a very simple question, and it's one that we all thought of as soon as we heard the Russell Wilson news. Okay, Wilson's contract is done, and Kyler Murray's contract is done. So what does it mean for Lamar Jackson, who is not only a fantastic player, but he's also a fantastic player who happens to represent himself representing mm -hmm. uh, himself and the Ohio State University today. <laughs> ah, Big weekend, Mike. Love Big it. weekend. Yeah, <laughs> there it is. 17-point dogs over Notre Dame makes me, you know, 17-point uh, favorites makes me a little nervous. Don't yeah. need to win by 17, just win the game. But anyway, yeah. uh, Bert, uh, just tell me your thoughts. I was talking about with Jim Trotter earlier. Thoughts on Russell Wilson's contract and what that means for Lamar Jackson. Well, I mean, first of all, I think it's smart for the Broncos because these numbers don't go down. I mean, it's just, it's the reality of it. And if you can do the deal a year earlier, I think it's to your benefit. And I think like you look at like Lamar's spot, like coming into this off season, there were just three quarterbacks with a base pay of 40 million per or more. And that was Mahomes, Allen and Dak Prescott. That number is now nine. So, you know, you sort of think about where the market was just six months ago versus where it is now. And Lamar is absolutely uh, benefits from from these things because this becomes a game of how do you top that, you know? And so now instead of getting past what, say, you know, Kyler Murray made, it's getting past what um, what what um, what Russell Wilson's making. So like that, I think that alone benefits uh, that that alone benefits, um, you know, Lamar Jackson here. The problem, I think, is that it's not fully guaranteed and we can talk more about that. But, you know, I think one of the things when you look back at the Kirk cousins contract in 2018 was like a lot of people thought that would be a new trendsetter. And, and really that was sort of up to the next guys and whether or not the next guys got fully guaranteed deals. Well, you know, after that, Matt Ryan did a conventional quarterback deal and Aaron Rodgers did a conventional quarterback deal and Jared Goff did a conventional quarterback deal. And it was very easy for those teams then to point at, the Kirk Cousins deal and say that's the outlier. And I think the same sort of thing is happening here with the deals that have gotten done since Deshaun Watson's deals gotten done. Kyler Murray, Derek Carr, and now Russell Wilson. They're all more conventional quarterback deals. So as far as the raw dollars go, Lamar does benefit from it. But, you know, if he was really seeking a fully guaranteed contract, this doesn't help him. No, but that is such a great point that Burt brings up because I've been saying the same thing since that Kirk Cousins contract. Players always gripe about not having guaranteed contracts. And if there's one group in the NFL that could push that needle or move that needle, it's the quarterbacks. And Kirk set 
you know, the example for them. And none of them have followed it, which blows my mind other than Deshaun. And we know that was because of the situation he was in where the, the Browns are willing to do anything to get him there. Um, with Lamar, this is what I'll say. It's interesting to me, everybody wants to get in his pockets and try and tell him how to do his business, right? Mm -hmm. I don't have any issue with what he's doing. I really don't. I think no. you play under the franchise tag this year. You've got an insurance policy, I'm sure, I'm assuming, that protects you against career-ending injury and whatnot, and I'm sure it's substantial. And then you play it out year by year, and the money only goes up. It only escalates, as, as Bert said. You know, the salary cap's gonna increase exponentially every year going forward with all this revenue coming in. So if Lamar, if what we're hearing is true, and Lamar said on his social media feed, that they have not offered him 250 million guaranteed as somebody put out there. Um, if I'm in his cleats, I'm fine doing it this way. Go year yeah, to year yeah. until you absolutely have to make give me, a move. Give me my, give me my 250, right? I, they haven't offered me 250 million and I'd like them to. And so maybe, maybe one, thing, one thing I'd add to like what, what, what Jim says, a great point is like, it really comes down to the individual player. And, um, you know, I had a really smart executive say this to me a few years ago where it's not our job to give the player what he's worth or what he thinks he's worth. It's our job to find out what he can't say no to. Right. And I think that's what happens with a lot of these quarterback contracts is it just gets to the point where the numbers are so big, where the player just goes, that's enough. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and, and you can put yourself in that position. Like there, there comes a point for everybody where it's just like, all right, like we're there. Like I don't need every one of these dollars to be guaranteed. And yeah, I mean it's hard from you know the standpoint of the greater body, the players, to hear that. But for each individual player, there is that point where I just can't say no anymore. And I think that that's I, I like look like Lamar's been so unique in so many different ways, and it's what makes him a great player. Like I I sort of think that might be part of this too, where he's unique in that way too, where he's willing to say no to some things that other people weren't willing to say no to in the past. Which is all fine then, but don't complain to me then about not having guaranteed contracts. That's all I'm <laughs> saying. You know, if you want it, do it. If you don't, then stop complaining about it. I don't want to hear about it. I remember one year, you remember the one year all the cornerbacks were up, all the top cornerbacks. I think it was Sherman, Patrick Peterson, all of these cornerbacks. I remember saying to someone at the union, if all of these corner cornerbacks decided we're not signing a contract unless we all get guaranteed money at that time, I kind of have a feeling that they would have gotten it. Because, I mean, we were talking mm -hmm. about the elite, the elite. If these quarterbacks did the same thing, and you could call it collusion as if owners don't talk privately, but if, if these quarterbacks said we're not doing deals unless we all get guaranteed deals, you don't think these teams would pay them? And no yeah. shade on Kyle Murray, but the deal he got for what he's accomplished thus far is incredible. So it tells you what mm -hmm. kind of leverage he had. So from my standpoint, look, if you want guaranteed contracts, you're going to have to stand up for it. If not, then stop talking about it. And, and, you know, like one of the most important things here, I think a lot of people have said this in the past, like, well, why don't football players have fully guaranteed contracts? What people don't realize is there's no league that has rules on this one way or the other. Baseball doesn't, basketball doesn't, hockey doesn't, soccer doesn't. There's no rules in any of these leagues that say contracts either have to be guaranteed or they aren't guaranteed. It's the way that player negotiations have gone over the years that have gotten to them to those places. And so baseball contracts are the way they are because baseball players operate the way they've operated. And, you know, like that's how they've built leverage over the years. It's been sort of one guy building on the next guy's success. And so the same way we see the numbers going up because different players are willing to stick their neck out and ask for more than the last guy got. 
Well, if they were doing the same things with guarantees and structure, then maybe we would be looking at a different environment when it comes to these negotiations. But see, you're, you're so right when you talk about stacking on top of the next, because I remember back in those 2011 negotiations, the CBA negotiations, and the rookie wage scale came up. And I remember that the, the, the NFLPA was going to give it up. And all I could think about was what Gene Upshaw used to say, that you're only a rookie for one year. And those rookie mm -hmm. deals were setting the floor for those veteran deals. And so what happened? They ended up giving it up on the front end as well as the back end, which was terrible. And the owners are never going to give that back. So at some point, again, I always say this comes back to the players. You know, don't grouse about it if you're not willing to stand up and fight for something. And they haven't been willing to fight or do what it takes to get these guaranteed deals. Hmm. You know, uh, Bert, you know, one of these quarterbacks, I said to Trotter before he came on, one of these quarterbacks, one of these highly paid or soon to be highly paid quarterbacks is going to disappoint a fan base, uh, disappoint a head coach and miss the playoffs, especially in the AFC. I mean, it's just too many, too many <laughs> great quarterbacks. You know, Josh Allen and Joe Burrow and now Russell Wilson and the entire AFC West. I didn't even mention Mac Jones uh, and the Patriots. I like, Stop. you know, Tua, Stop. you know, hey, Mac, hey, 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 pro bowler, pro bowler, Mac Jones. He doesn't belong in that sentence. Stop. <laughs> pro bowler doing the gritty Mac Jones. Leave him alone. Uh -huh. um, so anyway, like which it, it, as you look at this, it's September 1st. This is what now we now we get into. Okay, the season's about to start. As you look at this field, who do you really like and, and who don't you like uh, in the AFC? I, I mean, going into the year, I'd say I, I love the spot that Joe Burrow's in. He's still on his rookie contract. A lot of his teammates are in that position. And I, I just think they're in a position to build on the momentum they had last year. Um, I think Lamar Jackson is going to have a really nice year coming back because they had so many guys hurt. And I just think naturally they can't be as banged up as they were a year ago. Um, the AFC West is where it's really challenging, right? Like, so you look at which teams are in a better spot than others. I think it's going to take a little while for Denver to get, get its footing. They lose Vic Fangio on defense. It's something a lot of people aren't paying attention to, but uh, he's a generational defensive coach. And I think Ezra is going to do a great job there. But, you know, losing Vic, I think, is going to have at least a little bit of an effect. And then I think it's going to take a little while for Nathaniel Hackett and, and Russell Wilson to learn each other, you know. And so, you know, I, I look at where the Raiders are. They were a playoff team a year ago. They're adding, like, legitimate franchise-level players on both sides of the ball and Adams and Jones. And then I think the Chargers are better in year two with Brandon Staley there working with, with Justin Herbert. So, I think at the end of the day, the team that's on the outside looking in there might actually wind up being Denver. Um, and then, you know, I think elsewhere in the conference, like if you're looking at teams, I think those teams in the AFC East with, with Tua and Mac Jones and Zach Wilson, I I'm not sure the door is going to be open for them to take the leap this year. I, I, I agree with Bert, except for Denver being in last place. What, what I said, Bert, earlier is, my concerns are about Vegas's offensive line. It's yeah. just, it just is not good. And I, I, we know that McDaniel's has an offense where he can get the ball out quick and whatnot. But defenses are smart enough where they adjust to that and sit on. It, and then what do you do? So, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by what's going to happen there. But I'm interested in what you think on the NFC side, Bert, because mm -hmm. that, to me, that's where some real intrigue is for a different reason. Obviously, it's not as strong as the AFC, but there are a lot of storylines there. 
Yeah. I mean, it's wide open, you know, I mean, outside of like San Francisco, the Rams, the Packers, I mean, like Tampa, we'll see they're older in a lot of spots, you know, and the offensive line, I think you've got serious concerns now, especially on the interior with that group. Um, and then the NFC East is wide open, you know, and so what happens there? I think the Eagles are in a great spot and they're a really intriguing team to me because I think they've got a lot of the same things they had in their championship season in 2017, particularly because they're so strong along the lines of scrimmage. And somebody pointed this out to me that I, I it was, it's just so interesting to think about that they've got four guys on the offensive and defensive lines that have over 10 years of experience there, which is so rare. And Lane Johnson, Jason Kelsey, Brandon Graham, and Fletcher Cox. And on top of that, they've got a young quarterback who I think it was correct to have doubts about him coming out of Oklahoma and what he was two years ago. But what's so interesting about him to me, about what Jalen Hurts has done, is he's improving in areas that quarterbacks generally don't improve in, right? Like quarterbacks generally don't improve their anticipation. Jalen Hurts has done it. Quarterbacks generally don't improve their pocket presence. Jalen Hurts has done it. Quarterbacks generally don't improve their accuracy. Jalen Hurts has done it. So, you know, you start to look at him and if everything is so right around him and, you know, he's got the line in front of him and he's throwing to A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith and they get Miles Sanders going behind him, great tight ends there. Like, I'm really intrigued by the Eagles as maybe the dark horse to come out of the NFC. I'm looking for you. Go ahead. Go ahead, Jim. I'm not just intrigued. When you see my picks up on the website, I actually have them coming out of the NFC. Oh, there you go. Wait, coming so not, out and, and not such a dark horse what? after all, then I guess. And and losing to Buffalo. Yeah. Okay. So, so Buffalo wins the Super Bowl. That is yes. a, that's the headline. I have Buffalo winning the Super Bowl headline. also. And you I'll, got I'll Buffalo tell you what, winning the Super Bowl. I'll tell you what, like wow. Buffalo here's the thing about Buffalo. Like I you know, I just like and I, I've been doing this not as long as, as you, Jim, but 18, this is my 18th season. I just think sometimes there's like, you can tell at camp the way a team is operating and it doesn't mean they're going to win a championship, but like when I was with Buffalo, it looks like a machine now. And what really kind of intrigues me is how player led it is. It reminds me a little bit of those great Seahawks teams right before they got over the hump. The 2007 Patriots were that way where you can see how player driven a team that is. And between Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs and Vaughn Miller, you know, and then some of the young leaders they have coming along, Tredavious White's a tremendous leader, not maybe as vocal as some of the other guys, but a tremendous leader. Um, you know, I just, I look at Buffalo and I just see a lot of guys coming of age together. And when you watch them practice and how efficient they are, it just has that machine like quality. And then you add the fact that this is all being driven by the players. I think that really adds to it. Okay. All Thank right. you, Bert, for so making I me like sound smart. <laughs> I like this. You know, Bert, I need you to tell some tales out of school. Uh, we won't. I won't give all the details of our text exchanges the last uh, week, week and a half. <laughs> but one day, I text Bert. He says, "Yeah, you know, uh, I'm going to Tampa. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to talk to the Buccaneers people." I said, "Whoa." Here we go. So you yeah. went to Tampa. I know you went. Give us some reflections. Give us some insights because that situation is still, if you ask me, that situation is still fluid. Even though Tom Brady's back, yeah, he doesn't quite sound the same. He looks the same. He doesn't sound the same. What's going on there? It feels weird. It definitely does. And I just, um, you know, like it just feels like they need a lot of things to happen. And I, 
I, I love I, I love the choice of Todd Bowles as the head coach to 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 succeed Bruce Arians. And I think if anybody can manage this, it's Todd. Um, you know, and I think Todd realized, like, and you know, he and I talked about this last week, like how the the team was worn out at the end of last year and how they are older and how they need to be managed a little bit differently. And they've done that in training camp, you know, with with some of their older players. There's just so much age on that team. You know, you got 15 guys who are on the wrong side of 30. And like you just wonder if there's a possibility that a bunch of guys get old in a hurry. Um, and I've learned over the years not to bet against any team that Tom Brady's under center for. I'm Michael, you're as familiar with that as anybody. Um, so like, it's hard for me to see Tom Brady quarterbacking a bad football team. I don't think they're gonna be a bad football team, but you know, I certainly think they need a bunch of different things to break the right way. And a bunch of guys who are older to not get old on the football field at the same time. Bert, tell me this. I said this to Michael last week that. There is this adage within athletics that once you start thinking about retirement, you're actually yeah. retired. And the fact that Brady did retire only to come back 40 days later, it just makes me question with everything else that's going on there in terms of personnel and also with all of a sudden him showing this vulnerability during his yeah. press conference, which we've never seen, or taking 11 days off in camp, which we've never seen. Is that competitive fire still going to burn as brightly when we get to November or even early December um, and he's got to push his, his team through adversity, is it going to be the same? And, and that's one of the factors I think why I can't get on board with the Bucks right now as well is I, I just don't know about Tom at this point, to be honest. I, 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 it's just hard because he's such a unicorn and so different. And I think, I, I think it's like, it's hard to apply like the logic you would with other athletes to him. And I, I just think like when you get to December and January, like the light will be on, you know what I mean? Like, but, but I'm with you. Know? like we haven't heard it. We have not heard him talk this way before. I mean, and, and you know, I, I mean, even going back to last year, like he wasn't, he was, he said stuff like, well, I'm closer to the end than I am to the beginning, but he never put a number on it. Like he wasn't saying like, this could be my last year. And you know, like now, like he's saying things like that, and he's talking about life after football, and we see all the divided interests, and it's just, I'm, I'm with you. Like it's jarring to see some of that stuff, and like to see him sort of show that vulnerability. Will it translate to some sort of, you know, falling off the cliff? And I hate to borrow that term from your old partner there, Michael, but falling yeah. off the cliff, yeah, like back I, uh, in the day. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, hey, look, but, man, don't. Don't don't go to uh, don't don't start quoting IMAX now because that that's <laughs> that reference is probably all that that reference is only for our, for it's only for us old people here, right? <laughs> uh, I guess you don't want to do that. You don't want to do yeah, that. Yeah, I, I, but I, I, but I but I do but I do think that there is like I think Jim's right to point out like there is some things we haven't seen from Brady in particular. Like I've learned over the years not to compare him to other athletes because I think he is different, but. It's just like I'm with you that we haven't heard him talk this way or operate this way in the past. All right. Yeah, you guys, you're two uh, really smart guys. You're known for your football coverage, but uh, there's some breaking news in basketball. That's why I kept checking my phone and, and you knew this was coming. Once the Utah Jazz traded Rudy Gobert and got back a ton of draft picks from Minnesota, they were in rebuilding mode. Donovan mm -hmm. Mitchell started looking around like, what's going on here? Donovan Mitchell has been traded. 
He has wow. not been traded to the New York Knicks. Donovan Mitchell Mitchell has been traded to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Whoa. Uh, the, the Cavaliers <laughs> will I know. I know. How about Cavaliers that? will send. I know. Lori Markinen, uh Colin Sexton, uh, Ochai Ag- Agbaji to Utah and the package for Donovan Mitchell, according to Chris Haynes. There's Chris Haynes right there. Friend of wow, the show. How about that? So uh, Donovan Mitchell coming to the Eastern Conference. And this is interesting for Cleveland, fellas, because last year Cleveland got off to a great start. Mm-hmm. They were they looked like they were a certain playoff team. Uh, they ran into some injuries. They really started to fall apart. They wind up, wind up in a play-in a play-in game with Brooklyn. They lost that one. And then they lost another play-in game. They didn't even make the playoffs. So now... You add, uh, you know, Donovan Mitchell to a backcourt. There's Darius Garland. They got some uh, good. I like their size a lot. Uh, Cleveland's right in the mix. So I'm shocked. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I, I know. I, I mean, like, it's, I, it's, the fact that he like that he signed off on this, that he's willing to go to Cleveland, I think is is great for them, right? Like, like we he, never I thought think he like wanted out of Utah. I mean, I think he, he, he wanted, really out, of wanted out of Utah. I mean, but like, I, Mike, all due respect to where I went to school and to where you're from. Like, I, like, like, I, I, like I, I thought this was automatic that it was like, he's going to one of the California teams or he's going to go to New York or Miami, York. you know, like you, I mean, like, I like good for him for doing this too, for signing off on this. Yeah. I'm yeah one of those I, guys I knew bizarrely he would wind up with the Lakers. I really did. Yeah. Yeah, I, I knew uh, I knew New York was out once they started talking about R.J. Barrett and extension mm-hmm. with the Knicks. Okay, well, wasn't going to happen with the Knicks. So now Donovan Mitchell, uh, excellent player. I mean, you look at those numbers, you know, giving you 26 a game, and and he'll be able to replicate that. It's not like he's going to go to Cleveland and and, and he's suddenly going to be like an 18 point uh, per game score. It's going to be a pretty, pretty good move for them. All right, fellas, how about that? We talked some football, got some basketball in on the, uh, on the back end. I appreciate, appreciate the knowledge, Bert, and we will catch up with you soon. So you, you, you got, got to you, add, NBA, add NBA Insider to your resume, too. There it goes. There it is. There it is. Always, always great catching up with you guys. Appreciate you, Bert. All right, thanks, Bert. How did you do it? <laughs> Well, I'm a pretty good player. <laughs> uh, you know, I, this is what I do best. I love a challenge and I'm rising to the challenge. And um, yeah, I haven't played many matches, but I, I've been practicing really well. And my last few matches, it just wasn't coming together. I'm like, but this isn't me. Um, and you know, the last couple matches here in New York, it's really come together. Maybe I should have traveled with you all for all those years. <laughs> Are you surprising yourself with your level at the moment? What? Are you surprising yourself with your level? <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> I mean, I'm just Serena, you know, so. <laughs> Man, you know, Michael Smith said it before, before the first round. He said, I'd love to see Serena. And he actually brought some flowers. He said, I'd love to see Serena get her flowers. Is is she getting her flowers? She's getting a whole floral shop. I mean, the love, the warmth, 
from New York towards Serena Williams, rightfully so. We know, Jim, she has never lost in the first or second round of the U.S. Open. That streak continues. And now I'm thinking big, man. I wasn't thinking this at the, you know, at the beginning of the week. Now I'm thinking, hey, she might win this thing. Serena but, just might win it. But that's the thing that makes her truly one of the all-time greats, regardless of gender, regardless of sport, is her mindset and her mental toughness. You know, when you watch her go through some of her previous matches over the years where it looked like she might be out, and she pulls something from within mm. that that I'm not going to say we didn't think was there, but you're just thinking in that moment, man, it doesn't look like it's going her way. The thing I loved about that interview was not what she said, but the look she gave. Because it was Mary Jo Fernandez who was doing the interview, right? Yes. Yes. And when she says to her, are you surprised that you are playing at this level? The look Serena gave her said everything. <laughs> Nothing else needed to be said, man. I'm like, really? Really? You're going to go yeah. there with her after everything you have seen over the years, the decade? <laughs> she said, I'm a, I'm a pretty good player. <laughs> no. I'm, a, I'm a pretty good player. So, She's- uh... So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm not going to be uh, surprised by anything. She's not favored clearly, as she just pointed out. You know, she hasn't. She hasn't had much time on the court. Hasn't had much practice time. She's got other priorities, which is part of the reason she's thinking about. Uh, not thinking about. Has already said that she's going to focus on other things. Going to walk away. But if she wins it, Jim. I mean, I won't be shocked. Will you be shocked if she wins the U.S. Open? No. Her last shocked. U.S. Open? No. The only thing that would shock me is that if she won it and she came back and continued playing, that would shock me. Because I think okay. through what she has said publicly, it feels like this is the end. And what better script to go out on than winning the tournament or where you first won your ma- a major title, right? So her first major title was the U.S. Open, I believe she said. To win it, that would be the perfect bookend with all of the love, as you say, that she's getting from everyone. To have Tiger in her box yesterday, you know, um, and the fist pump that Tiger normally gives, and she gave one to the crowd, I'm assuming it was to him. Um, it's just, you know, she takes your breath away. She's, 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 to me, she is going to go down as one of the great athletes of all time, period. That's right. Yes. Regardless of race, yes. be, regardless of sport, regardless of gender, regardless of race, all that crap. She is just a phenomenal athlete. And all of these great athletes, as you know, Michael, it starts up here. It's not about anything else. It starts up here. And she's got that. So it's a perfect transition in our GOATS block, our, our final block of the show, focusing on GOATS. You talk about. So it would surprise you if Serena won this thing and then decided to keep going and changed her mind. Well, Tom Brady did that. <laughs> Tom Brady didn't win in his last time on the field, but he retired. Now he's decided to keep going despite his 11-day break uh, in the middle of training camp. So you had a great story, Jim. I love this story. You talked to uh-huh. a lot of people about how 
you know, what it's like for them, what it has been like for them to face Brady, what it will be like facing Brady in his final season. And I would ask you what what you learned, but you know, we don't have enough time for that. I guess uh, tell us a couple of uh, your favorite things from the story because it's it's just ch- it's a treasure trove of of uh, insight and Brady information. Yeah, you know, I talked to nearly two dozen people, and obviously they all didn't make the story, but the the thread was similar, or you know, the common thread that ran through all of them was just a respect and a reverence for everything that Tom has done and who he is, and. The things that kind of stood out to me just in terms of comments was one hearing Ryan Clark, who head to head against Brady, whether with the Giants or with the Steelers, was one and three. And he said one of the things with Tom when you're playing him is you're not just playing the man in front of you. You're playing the ghosts of Brady past. And he says you remember all of those comebacks and things that he had every time you get in in the game with him. And he said we might be dominating and a young player, a rookie might say, man, what's the fuss about with this guy? He's not all that. And then you as a veteran would have to kind of set him down and say, look, lock in, that's still Tom. And the other thing that stood out to me was Raheem Morris, who, you know, was on that Atlanta staff that lost to the Patriots in the Super Bowl after being up 28 to three. And then last year in the playoffs with the Rams as defensive coordinator, they got up 27, I believe 27, seven or three, whatever it was. Tom led led the Bucks on 20 straight points. And all of a sudden, it's like Raheem is going to experience this again, you know, of of a heartbreak against Tom. And they didn't, which he said he was happy about, obviously. But the thing he said to me that was so interesting, he said, whenever you're playing Tom, you have to go in with two game plans. You have to go in with a game plan for the first half, and you have to go in with a game plan for the second half, because he is going to adjust to whatever you're doing, and you have to try and stay one step ahead of him. You can't run the same stuff that worked in the first half in the second half, and I thought that was phenomenal in terms of speaking to, to Brady's greatness. Yeah, you know, this is all this is all interesting, and and it's it's all it's all just new territory for Tom Brady. You know, we know most quarterbacks don't play until forty-five. If they are around at forty-five, they're backups or they're just not reliable. They may be starters, but not reliable starters. You know, guys have played for a long time. They, ha- they haven't played at an MVP level. Can he continue it, as he said, with all the other stuff going on? So you usually don't have to think about that because by 45, all right, I'm done with I'm done with sports. I don't have to worry about all this other stuff. He's got to actually balance 45-year-old stuff in a kid's game. But anyway, well, great story. Check it out from Jim Trotter. See, Trotter, the music just started on you. You couldn't complete your thought. What were you about to say? Because the music will come up on you again. No, it was just funny to hear players talk about how weird the week is in terms of how they get away from things they've always done when you're playing Tom Brady. Like T.J. Watt telling me one week he was told, don't rush, just get your hands up because the ball comes out so fast. He's like, I've never gone into a game where I was told not to rush. You know, Tom Brady does those sort of things to, to defenders. That's right. All right, Trotter, great stuff as usual. Hey, thanks for hanging out, everybody.